This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 89. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 89 you're listening to. It's brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com. Focal Monitor is Universal Audio and Audio Technica. So here we are again for another episode, number 89. I have a couple great guests on for you today. Following up in the story of Willie Samuels and Chris Dugan, if you remember in their episodes, we uh, heard that they came together at Los Madonos College and eventually created New Tone Studios in Pittsburgh, California. Well, they talked about two up-and-coming engineers who uh, took over the place and are really, as we like to say, they're rocking it. So we're going to talk to them. I'm talking about Ben Hirschfield and Scott Goodridge. So uh, I paid a visit to them, and we had a nice chat in their uh, very, very air-conditioned control room, I'll tell you that. Yeah, Ben Hirschfield and Scott Goodrich of New Tone Studios coming up shortly. So I know that you all uh, are probably aware that Louisiana has seen uh, some historic flooding, and there's been a ton of damage. Many people have lost everything that they own, uh, homes damaged beyond repair, destroyed, uh, it's just been awful. I did notice on the uh, Personas website, and you all probably know that uh, I'm a big Studio One fan. Personas is not a sponsor of the show, but that doesn't really matter, uh, especially in this case. So uh, I do want to um, talk about this. It, so Personas is in Baton Rouge, and uh, they, while they avoided flooding, uh, many of their employees did not, and many of them have lost everything. So Personas has set up a GoFundMe page. They are trying to get to a certain dollar amount here, and it looks like as of this recording, they're trying to get to $30,000, and they're currently at 23400 That has been raised by 293 people in five days. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, ask you politely if you can, and uh, you're willing to, I'd, uh, I'd appreciate it if uh, you donate to the campaign there to help the employees of Personas. I'm sure that that uh, is a is a devastating thing to go through to lose everything, to lose your home, and I can't even begin to imagine uh, what that's like. So, you know, let's help out our brothers and sisters there at Personas and uh, give them a hand and see what we can do for them. Uh, I, of course, will be making a donation uh, on behalf of Working Class Audio, and I encourage you to do the same. So let's let's uh, see what see what we can do there. Uh, so yeah. You know, and on a less serious note, I want to bring this to your attention. This has been on my mind lately. I've uh, been seeing a lot of new technologies or emerging technologies that have been in development for some time uh, that are really changing the way we do music recording. Uh, I don't know how it's affecting uh, game audio or film sound, but in the world of music recording, of course, we've seen over the years like th- things such as uh, drum triggering technology, sample replacement, you know, that's been going through a, uh, a growth period for some time. I mean, I remember using Sound Replacer and Pro Tools to try to, you know, slip in some different uh, snare and kick samples in a mix. And, of course, that has emerged into a Superior Drummer and Slate's Trigger and uh, Drumagog and all that. Uh, but we're also seeing some other stuff, like from Slate and Townsend Labs, we're seeing this mic modeling thing. Uh, we saw an early indication of that from Antares many years ago. But uh, stuff like that is emerging more and more where, you know, we have virtual versions of 
old classic gear. Of course, Universal Audio has been reigning supreme in that department for quite some time uh, with their models of Pultex and 1176s, LA-2As, all that stuff. It's just a really interesting time, I think, in pro audio from that standpoint. And I'm, I am excited by it, but I'm curious what you all think about it. So I'll post a question on, face, on the Facebook page. So if you head on over there, be curious to hear what everybody thinks. What's, what's the, uh, I want to take, take the temperature or the pulse of uh, the audience and see what you all think about all this. A lot of different and interesting ideas coming out, of course. So uh, maybe it's, you know, meant to just deal with not only shrinking budgets, but it's also meant to deal with the fact that uh, we have a lot of remote recording going on and um, people like old sounds, but they don't like to deal with the prices of, of that gear, you know, like buying a, you know, a 251 or a U47 or a Fairchild, whatever. Very interesting times, nonetheless. So I'll leave that to uh, the Facebook page. So look look out for that, and uh, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on that. Without further ado, let's jump into it here with Scott Goodrich and Ben Hirschfield of Newtone Studios here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Yeah, thank you we're for having here, us. We're here at your studio, Newtone Studios in Pittsburgh, California. Way the hell out here. Yeah. I drove and I was on 4 East, just yeah. coming over the hill. And you see like what almost looks like uh, the Emerald City in the distance, but it's really like an industrial set of smokestacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, I'm almost there. The landscape in the drought too is just like barren wasteland. And the it's guys like- in big trucks are riding my ass on the freeway yeah. because they got to get to work. Yeah, we have to strategically come and go from the studio. Where do you live? Oakland. We both live in Oakland. Okay. Yeah. So that's a that's a bit of a haul. Yeah. Traffic was good. It was 22 minutes from Lafayette for me. Yeah. It, it's I, about 30 minutes from Oakland unless you're going in the evening because we're basically doing the opposite commute. So right. like if we're coming here in the morning, you know, everybody going the opposite way is just stuck and we're cruising. But if we're doing like a night session, we're in trouble. So for the listener, if you haven't listened to Chris Dugan or Willie Samuels interviews, you should. And then you'll get the backstory of Newtone. And I'm just kind of chasing the story yeah. because we're completing the saga. You're completing. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> so I I came out here because I was dying to see the place and I was dying to talk to you guys because I thought well, this should be interesting. It is. It is uh, it is exactly what I imagined. Really? It's like a, a clubhouse. Yeah. yeah. Live room with a snare drum, you know, banging around. Sounds as Willie had described to me. So tell me, how did you two meet? Let's start there. We met at a punk rock show in Berkeley. At Gilman? No, it wasn't at Gilman. It was at Blake's, I believe. Bla- it was this place yeah. called Blake's on Telegraph. In the basement? In the basement. Yeah. And uh, our friend Brad introduced us. Yeah, I needed somebody to buy me beer and I was... Like 20? I was 21 and he was 20. Did you just randomly walk up to him and say, hey, you look 21? Well, my band was playing and his band was playing. Uh, Ben was like, oh, I'll buy everyone beer. And that's literally how we met. At the school that we went to school for recording, Ben walked into the class that I had. Yeah, we were both students at Expression at that time, but we hadn't met. So yeah, (laughs) he came into my math class. That's how we met. Yeah, I think we got along really well right away because we both wanted to record punk bands. This is so similar to Willie and Chris. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we met at a punk show. We were playing in punk bands. We wanted to record punk bands. And we just got along really well. And we were going to school together. And basically, expression, you're like with one group of people the whole time. So naturally, you just sort of like find friends, you know, and Mm -hmm. you're with them throughout the whole program or whatever. How we started recording together was... 
I literally asked my parents if he could start recording out of my house because I had already been recording out of my house. <laughs> we, yeah, we had both been recording. I was recording in my basement and Scott was recording in the garage, Yeah, uh, which later became our studio. I was like, this guy has Pro Tools. I don't have Pro Tools. This could be awesome. And he has, <laughs> Wait, like, what were you using? Cubase. Nice. And, uh, and I was like, he has Pro Tools and like eight more preamps. Like, can he start recording here too? Like while I would be at school or go on tour, Ben would come over to my parents' house and record. And what did they say? They totally supported me. Like, not only did they let Scott record like shitty bands in his garage all day, they let like just me, like some guy, like come over. Like, Scott wouldn't even be home. And I would just come over with a band and just play loud, terrible music in their garage all day long. And they would just yeah. totally supported us, totally like, wow, let us build like a legit studio in their house, essentially. This is good knowledge for me in the future as a parent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. I mean, we even. Ran cables through the ceilings. Yeah, so the, your bedroom was the control room. And yeah. then the garage was the live room. And were his parents home at the time? Yeah. Wow, you got some good parents. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. Tolerant parents. Absolutely. Okay, so you do that. Obviously, you graduated out of the garage. Oh, yeah, we graduated. Yeah. We did. So, yeah, so while we were there doing the studio, Imperial Recording Studio, uh-huh. as it was known... Well, maybe I should go back a little bit because a few years before that, uh, my band recorded here at Newtown Studios with Willie. Okay. That was probably 2008 or nine or something like that. It went really well and he did a great job. We didn't really keep in touch um, until a couple of years later when we, Scott and I were doing the studio. I just emailed him and I was like, do you have any, you know, I'm doing this. I went to school. I'm doing the studio. Do you know of any like entry level opportunities? Uh, I knew that by that time he was at Trilogy and there really wasn't anything at Trilogy at that time, but he forwarded that email to Jingletown. And so I got an internship at Jingletown through that. And that is the next chapter of our story. Chapter um, three. Yeah, yeah, chapter three. So uh, yeah, we continued recording bands uh, at Imperial for a while. Eventually, I got hired at Jingletown to do some video stuff for them. Mm-hmm. And I just you know, sort of became friends with Chris and everybody there. And I asked him if I might be able to freelance at Newtown. And I did that once. And it went really well. And we sort of got to a place where we were just really busy recording bands. And it just, it got to a place where I kind of surmised like nobody's really using Newtone. It seems like it would be an awesome fit. And yeah, I just asked if, you know, we might be able to start using it more permanently. All right. So you, you leave your parents' house. We leave my parents' house. You didn't do any internship over at Jingletown. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. We oh. both interned at Jingletown. Oh. So that's kind of how... Chris knew who we both were. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was able to vet you through through that process and get a sense of who you were. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Then the adventure begins. They let you into Newtone to essentially take over. But why didn't you <laughs> continue on getting deeper into Jingletown? Why did you try to... Well, I, did. I mean, I interned there for a while. And okay. um, I was hired for a couple one-off you know, engineering sessions when they were really busy and needed somebody. And then, like I said, towards the end of my internship, they had an opening for somebody to do video editing stuff, which really wasn't my, I mean, audio is my thing, right? But they offered me a job, so I took it. And uh, that was when they were doing, when Green Day was doing the trilogy, the Uno Dos Tre. And when those records ended, you know, that job ended. And that's okay. sort of around the time we started doing this, you know, more permanently. We're recording bands so much at my parents' house. I mean, like... Yeah, when, and the whole time we, I was doing that, we were still recording bands. When I was interning, I was also working a day job and recording bands. So I was doing like three super crazy things and I was just like burnt out and I I was just like yeah I just want to record bands like so I think I like stopped the internship and the day job on the same day I was like yeah I'm just going to record tell me about the the whole expressions experience before we proceed any further uh is interesting yeah I don't want to say anything bad okay 
but it, I don't know. It was interesting. It didn't work for you? You get really excited and you go into it. And then, you know, the first like four classes, you're just making like joke movies with people playing around with Pro Tools. And I, I just wasn't, I guess I wasn't sure what to expect. And I was like really young. I think if somebody's going to go into a recording school, like really think it through and sort of have a better understanding of what to expect. Because I thought I was just going to go in and be like, yeah, I'm going to like use the SSL and record bands all day long. So you dropped out. Yeah. Yeah, I did. They wanted uh, $20,000 for three months. I have three months left to finish. They wanted $20,000. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That was a great talk to have with the parents too. Were you on the same page with them? Yeah, they were super supportive. I was like, I think I can do this without finishing school. I'm almost positive. I can. I were don't they ha- paying for it? They paid for some of it. Okay. And some of it's student loans. I think I would have done the same thing. Yeah. And I was just about to go into video game audio. Yeah. It's not what I want to do. Okay. Did you graduate? Yeah. I graduated with honors. <laughs> Valedictorian. I mean, I, I also have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I, I can't say I didn't learn things there. I had good teachers. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, there's good people that work there, but I don't know. I think it's one of those things like the cliche is like you get out of it what you put into it. But I think that's probably true of like, if you're somebody that just like has to do this, you'll find a way to do it, whether it's putting all of yourself into expression or somewhere else. And there's tools there that can help you learn. Um, And I also think like you're talking about like game audio and and like post-production and stuff like that, stuff that neither of us really wanted to do. Yeah. (laughs) But you have to do like however many weeks of it. I think if all you want to do is record bands, there's less money in that than post-production. So I understand why you have to learn that if you're going to this school, right? But if you're just like stubborn like me and Scott and you're just like, no, we just like have to record bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings. I, I don't think it's the only way to learn this yeah. trade. I think it definitely taught me how to speak the language of recording. Costly way to learn the language though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then you guys jumped into New Tone and was there a plan or did you just show up and go, all right, well, I'll just start bringing bands in. and Pretty much that. I mean, yeah. we we... We're busy at Scott's parents' house, and so... This is in Oakland. No, my parents' house was in Livermore. Wow, okay. Yeah. So we've always been out in the middle okay, of Okay, so you know, I just got to ask, who the hell are you recording out in Livermore? Everybody, man. People travel. People travel from out of state to, to yeah. Imperial. It was crazy. Yeah, I was like, I was recording bands from Reno. And how are they finding you? We've been in bands since we were like 13. Yeah. You go on tour, you meet people. I mean, I did a band here from Missouri, and they drove all the way out from Missouri to come do a record with me. Was there a connection through your through Through touring? Yeah, Yeah. I met them on tour. And when we were in Livermore, it was like friends that we'd meet at shows, friends that we'd meet on tour. Do you think that for a band, there's a a natural inclination to want to go to a studio run by guys you meet on tour? The inclination is not like what is geographically the most close studio. You're going to go to a studio that you like the way it sounds or you like the people that work there or you like the other bands they've recorded. And I think everybody travels to record. I mean, when I first started, you know, playing in bands, we traveled to record to whatever studio. Mm -hmm. I see some similarities here and I'm also kind of drawing a comparison to, um, to John Vanderslice and Vanderslice toured quite a bit. Yeah. And that only helped Tiny Telephone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it helps. I mean, you just meet people. I think the sort of feeling you have as a musician while you're touring, it's just sort of like you can't really describe it to somebody who hasn't done it before. Like when you're done, yeah, with you a just long get tour. it. It's a shorthand. If you know, you, even if you didn't meet them on tour, you have that immediate shorthand of like, I know what it's like. Like I've been in a van. Yeah. Okay, so you're busy out in Imperial. So what was the transition like to come here? It was uh, super. I don't we, know. It was really <laughs> easy. Just, put all our stuff in a car and I drove it here. I mean, it was, 
this place was not really being used. I think Willie was coming here infrequently. I mean, he was already at Trilogy full-time or more than full-time. I think it was mostly just on weekends. Yeah, on weekends. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just sort of like really great timing for us to come in and Was all the gear up. here? Was it still set up and ready to go? It was still functional for sure, yeah. I think when we moved in, though, it was on Pro Tools 5 or 6. Yeah. At the time of, I think, 10 or 9 had already come out. That was kind of crazy. <laughs> Pro Tools 5 or 6. So did you just get up and running with it, or did you try to immediately? Yeah, start- no, we re-rock, rocked five for I don't for know how a while. Long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we're on ten HD now. Is that just? Did we? Was there anything in the middle? I think it was just a ten. No, right? we just went. We yeah. went up five, five yeah. points immediately. Plus five. Yeah, that's an exponential jump between five and ten. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were already used to probably eight or something. So five was like, whoa, was this? Yeah. <laughs> we went back, and then yeah, so we like regressed, and then we upgraded. This is like Civil War Pro Tools. Yeah. <laughs> Did you immediately start changing stuff or did you just use the studio as is? And- it started more as is maybe for the first year. We just kept, we just were like, let's just go. And I think we updated Pro Tools with Chris and Willie helping that us. That was probably the first thing we did. That was the first thing we updated was yeah. Pro Did they Tools. have to come over here and kind of walk you through like what was the story as I'll, far as... Me and Chris were trying to get Pro Tools set up for like three hours while a band was sitting here. Because Willie had wired the connectors the night before and like... One thing wasn't working. So me and Chris were just sitting in here for like three hours, like trying to figure out how to get it to work while a band was just like sitting here. Luckily, they were like really good friends of, you know, literally people I'd recorded in my garage. So they're like, yeah, whatever, man, take your time. Like, it's cool. So that was pretty stressful. Obviously, you got it working. We got it working. Yeah. A lot of that, like, it was like, we're going to, let's just try restarting the computer and see if something changes (laughs) a lot of that. And then one time it actually changed and then it started working. So that's a little scary. Yeah. But friends, as you say, are friends of friends, so. It's great, yeah. What, for you guys, like the relationship of Willie and Chris, what is that to you? Are they mentors? Are they? Yeah, definitely. I would consider them mentors. Definitely, yeah. There's somebody, like I said, like my band recorded uh, with Willie back in the day, and he was somebody I looked up to, you know, in terms of audio. and It's a mentor sort of vibe. Like we, you know, when we have questions or, you know, regarding life or audio, we can ask. It's great. Huh. And it's it's crazy too, like being here, because uh I was in a band that recorded here too. I didn't record with Chris or Willie, it was like the guy kind of in between us and them. But even the records that I listened to when I was like twelve, like getting into punk rock, were done here by Chris and Willie. <laughs> wow. Which is crazy, you know? So and I didn't even know it at the time, you know, f- like finding out about that or like finding like old tapes. I'm like, did you guys record that? It's crazy, you know? So it goes back like further than I think we even like think about, you know? So let's talk about the functionality of the studio, like the, the day-to-day. Like in past episodes, I've really kind of been digging into this concept with starting with a conversation with John Schimpf at 25th Street, which I've mentioned in the past episode with Willie, talking about a studio like this that doesn't have a big overhead and just as we the using the term rocking it, meaning just really working all the time and bringing in band after band after band. So as far as what you charge, what do you charge here? What does it cost to come in here uh, we're on both the average? 300, 300 a day. To- total? Mm-hmm. Yep. For studio and us. Huh, interesting. Do you have outside engineers come in here? Uh, no, we, we usually don't. I mean, I don't I, think we've I ever usually done that. Don't, we never have, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. But we're here so often, I don't even know how that would There's even no fit into the schedule. There's no real time for that. 
<laughs> for anybody else to come in. The only time one of us doesn't come in day or night is if we're out of town. You guys are here every day. We're here every day. You know, we're in a fairly industrial type area. So in terms of activity at night, uh, any crime, any uh, if you're a band working here and you want to go out for food, is it like Escape from New York, like the movie? <laughs> or... Uh, is it not like that? When you're here during a night session, I mean, nothing stays open very late. So there's only like one place to go and it's like a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, it's not too bad. I mean, we're definitely out here. It's not like go run around by yourself. But if, you know, we all go to the store together, everybody's fine. Yeah, it's I mean, knock on wood, we've, I, we've never had any problems. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. we've never had any problems like that. Yeah. Also, Kurt Russell is definitely running around with us, protecting us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Snake Plissken is always, you know, close close by watching out. So you charge 300 bucks a day. That includes one of you. Yeah. And uh, I assume that the rent is ridiculously cheap. My next question is, is, why the hell do you keep coming out from Oakland? Why don't you just move out here? I'm married. And my wife works in Mountain View. Okay. So Wow. So you guys are going in completely opposite directions. So we sort of want to stay in the middle of both of us. Okay. Because we already don't see each other as it is. That's that's my end of it. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in Oakland for years at this point. And I like keeping the work life and the, the Oakland life separate. I think I'd probably go crazy if I was just in Pittsburgh 100% of the time <laughs> at the studio and then I go home. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of nice. You like have that drive. To decompress or to, or to mentally prepare for your session. Yeah. Absolutely. So what type of bands are you recording mostly? I mean, we do a lot of punk, a lot of hardcore, garage rock, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, um, all, all kinds of indie bands. Yeah. So if you're here all the time, you're probably not touring like you used to. I'm just starting to sort of get active like that with my new band. What's your new band? It's called Daydream. Okay. Like we're going to San Diego next weekend, play a show okay. for like a festival. Uh, but not touring like I'm gone for like a month or two months sort of vibe, but still. What do you, what do you play? Uh, I sing and play guitar. Do you play? I do. I don't really have a band right now. What do you play? I play guitar. Okay. We're guitar mm-hmm. players. Chris and Willie are the drummers. Mm-hmm. I moved out here in like 1989. I moved, or 88. I lived in San Francisco for 10 years and Oakland for 12 years and had kids, moved to Lafayette and did that run. But I think this is probably maybe my second time in Pittsburgh. Yeah. In all that time. So I'm just curious, the bands and the, and the process and are they looking at the records that you guys have done and... Like, I think so. I mean, are, are you are you saying like why does what's anybody the, come to Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's definitely, there's definitely there's definitely yeah. times that we we think like yeah. I mean, there's got to be like a reality show that we could like throw the studio on the back of a truck and be like move my studio and just like relocate it to Emeryville or something like that. You know what I mean? But I think there really is something to bands travel to record, and there's also something about Newtone Studios. Like I fully believe in the magic of Newtone Studios. Well, there's a, definitely a vibe here. Yeah, and it's just like it's like a great place to be creative and make music, and it attracts people. You know, it it has a funkiness like tiny telephone in San Francisco. Yeah, definitely. And I could I totally see the attraction of that. And if you're in a band and you're you're young and just trying to do your thing, this would be a fun place to come for sure. It's fun. There's not a lot of pressure. I mean, it's like one of those things where. A band will go like, "Hey, can we do this?" And we're like, "Just do whatever you want, man. Just you know, be careful. Everything's fine. Like, just you, be an adult. Yeah, you can t- you can play any guitar. You can play any. You can plug in anything. Like anything you want to do. Like, let's try out everything. Huh? And I think, uh, and it doesn't cost a lot. I mean, shit for three hundred bucks. Yeah, if you're a touring band, 
you know, and you're in the habit of playing I think on it's a regular this, basis, you can come in here and totally have a good time. We've been in the position where like, I worked at Costco and like push shopping carts to like pay for my band's first full length. I get that the people that come and record with us, like don't come by their budget as like something that was handed to them. Yeah. You know, I completely aware of that. And like, I don't, I think it's something we don't take very lightly because mm-hmm. we know that they're, they work hard to like come in here and like be able to do this. Why do you think you're successful in this place? I think me and Ben just give a shit about making every band sound awesome. You give me that impression too. You guys like definitely have an energy about you that's really, I can see why a band would want to come in and work with you. This is just what we do. So like we put everything into every record that we make, you know? Mm-hmm. Whether it's going to be on a label or not on a label or whatever, you know, like we just want to make the best shit ever and like make awesome sounding records. And as far as the gear is concerned, you know, like we said, there's a certain amount of gear that was here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you continually invest back into it or? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Like we're talking about the undertones are. Yes. By the way, Eric, if you're listening, Mr. Valentine. Maybe we shouldn't tell them. We should have them guess which one is running through the UTA. Yeah. Yeah. You could, it's, probably, it's probably easily recognizable. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Which transformer are you using, Scott? Ooh. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you One all of know these I, three don't, mics I don't really drool on gear much, but I walked in and these guys have two of uh, Eric's, Eric Valentine's uh, mic pre's, and I immediately was drawn to it. They're crazy. They're insane. I feel like an astronaut or something. Like, I'm trying to use them. And I think it's one of those pieces of gear that's, like, so crazy that only he knows how to use it completely. Like, it's just nuts. Probably. He probably doesn't even know, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the work-life balance. You're married. Yeah. Are you married? I am not married. How does that work for you? Uh, My wife and I got married a little over a year ago. And we were together many years before that. She understands the gig and where I'm sort of at with the age that we are. Like, we have to hustle, you know? She understands it. The balance is just sort of when we have free time, her and I hang out. And if there's no free time, we don't. But our schedules are so crazy. It's very dependent on like who's got what going on. Mm -hmm. So, like, week to week, it changes. Sometimes I'll be on nights or sometimes he's on nights. Um, And, you know, if anybody's done night sessions, it turns you into a zombie, it makes you crazy. I don't know. There's some balance sometimes, and then sometimes it's just insane. It's weird because we are so far away from Oakland. Like, we genuinely have to plan. Like, if we go home at five in the morning, like, we have to drive through commuter traffic out to San Francisco. That's right. For like two hours. So we just don't, we'll we'll stay. Yeah. Hope you're enjoying the interview here with Scott Goodridge and Ben Hirschfield of Newtone Studios. We're going to take a sponsor break, though, with our friends over at Audio Technica. It's funny, after I did the interview with uh, Willie Samuels on the last show, uh, Willie sent me a a note. He says, uh, hey, I didn't really think about this until listening to the finished product, but the first two real mics I ever bought were a pair of AT4033s. And he says they're still one of my favorite mics of all time. He says, I still own one and use it daily on snare drum and electric guitar. And he says the other one was stolen when he and Chris Dugan, when they were recording the live debut of Green Day's American Idiot. He also uh, wanted to point out that uh, he says that uh, the two Magic Room mics 
uh, that he spoke of at Newtone Studios, which I guess are still there, are AT4047s, which is the mic that I brought up last episode in the sponsor break. So, you know, just want to give a shout out to those two mics, the 4033 and the 4047. If you haven't had a chance, head on over to uh, audio-technica.com and check those out. Total, total workhorse mics. The 4033 is actually one of the first mics I bought. Uh, I remember getting, uh, I think, some record company money that had been owed to me at some point in my life. And I remember the first thing I did, this is in my early recording days, I went out and I bought a Panasonic 3700 and an AT4033. Anyways, long story. So the 4033, really, really great mic. And uh, it's over at audio-technica.com. Check it out. Like I say, it's a workhorse. And so is the 4047. Really impressed with that 4047. I think uh, I think I'm going to have to talk to the AT folks and see if I can work out some kind of deal to get some. So there it is. All right. Well, that's it. Let's move on and uh, continue our talk with our friends over at Newtone Studios, Scott Goodrich and Ben Hirschfield here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Let's talk about money. Yeah. Your overhead's low. Your commute's long. This is the only gig you have and you're charging 300 bucks a day. If you've listened to the show, you know I always ask, what's do you have a philosophy? Like Willie said, when he was here with Chris, it was just like, it was a little ad hoc. He's had his experience at Trilogy with uh, financial advisors coming in to really plot things out. You guys don't strike me that you have a financial advisor coming in here to plot things out. What well, gives you that impression? <laughs> <laughs> are you conscious of it? Is there a plan? Do you, do you, are you saving or are you just like, Fuck it, man. We're going all in and just dumping it all in. I think at this point, it's structured. We want it to be affordable to do a, a great record really well here. Like, we want you to be able to spend time here. Yeah. And to book, you know, if it's a little bit cheaper and you can book two weeks to do your record or a month or something like that, I think that is probably the main incentive. What's the average time booked? I mean, it varies so much. It, it really does vary. I've been, I've been trying to get people to do two days a song if it's possible. But usually a full length is maybe like two weeks, you know, maybe a, a little over, a little under. And then EPs, it just sort of, it varies, jumps around. Mm-hmm. It just depends. I'd say it also depends on the overall, like the vibe of the record. I think what's cool about him and I is like, we jump from like, like CLA, like everything's just like at 10 and just like huge samples, like whatever, to like, yeah, we put one mic on the drum. I'm like, it sounds awesome. And then as far as, I mean, you're talking about making it affordable. I get that for, for the bands, but, you know, from a making a living standpoint, are, oh, you yeah. ma- are you making a living? This is like the first maybe year and a half I haven't had to have another job. It was just like a job, but we're still here all the time. And booked all the time. Yeah. I would just basically come in at night, but it's been nice not having to do something else, which has been great. Well, then if you don't have to have another job, that's obviously, that's a pretty good indication. Yeah. Do you have another job? No. Just good. Yeah. Well, good for you guys. How do you deal with the calendaring? We have a Google calendar. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we pretty much just our entire adult lives have been like coordinating who's going to be working at the studio. <laughs> but what's I mean, <laughs> so it's even crazier because him and I were like talking about it and like we've been coordinating a schedule like this since before we were here when we were like right, yeah, 19 or 20 yeah. or whatever. So like this has been going this like we've our entire audio working career has always been together and coordinating like who's day and night. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just sort of like, we basically, so we have we a calendar and then on top of that, we'll just text like, Hey, I need like these two days or like, can you, can I do that night? Whatever. We just are flexible to, I think the schedule of the other person and we just make it work. Have you ever double booked on top of each other? 
Do you mean like I have a band showing up and Scott has a band showing up? Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened. Okay. No, that's never happened. So we're going with the bands you're working with. Is there a preference as far as like who gets to work with the bands? Do they call you directly or you directly? Or Most of the business, I think, just goes directly to one of us as opposed to like generically to Newtown Studios or something like that. Yeah, I'd say it's more of a personal outreach than okay. necessarily the studio getting hit up. Yeah, it's... For, for stuff that is just generically like to the email, like, hi, I'm a band. Can I record? We just trade. So like, I'll get the the first request and Scott will get the next. And it's just been, that's just how we've been doing it. But for the for the vast majority, it's it's repeat clients or it's clients that have come through recommended from another client. It doesn't really come up that often. Is there an understanding with Willie and Chris that do you run stuff by them and say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna make a big change? <laughs> Some, yeah. <laughs> sometimes yes More and sometimes no. <laughs> like uh like when we build something big, we'll run it by them. If we like paint the walls, we're like, hey, we painted the walls. I don't know? remember if it was it was Chris or Willie's interview with you, or I, I think maybe it was Chris was talking about how they're just constantly doing little things, little changes to the room. And I feel like Scott and I are kind of always, we've kind of always been building a studio. How do you keep life. it so damn cool in here? Like the temperature or yeah. the, well, that's the AC. We have, yeah. Jerry, we have Jerry the AC guy. Yeah. Jerry the AC guy. Yeah. No, we have a new we've, guy now. Oh, we have, uh, I think the new guy's gym. Yeah. Do you have to pay uh, PG&E or is that in your rent? It's, it's in, in the, the rent, rent, right? Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Because it's, it's cool in here. It's really cool. And it has I, to be. When I work, I like to keep the control room cool. Hoodie weather all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're literally like in a room within a room within a warehouse right now. So yeah. you need, yeah, you need the AC. What are the challenges that you guys are facing? I, I think it's, it's probably managing, it's probably time management really? for me. Yeah. Well, just, I mean, I think at this point specifically, like we're both very busy and so we have to share time at the studio mm-hmm. and yeah, it takes discipline to finish a project at a certain time and start a new project at a certain time. And you find yourself kind of in the middle of one project and I'm sure the email and the phone is kind of definitely. Going off I mean, I want yeah. every song I mix to be the best song ever. So it's hard to finish a mix. Yeah. And it's probably a common problem. But yeah, I would say that's it's pretty accurate to say time management. I'd say that probably goes for both of us. We are getting older. So it's like we're both sort of like, oh, is, is there any way of the day time is open? You know, because going until 4 a.m. is like, it's fun, but it's not always fun, you know? Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, uh, so. I, I just can't do that anymore. Yeah, I remember like when we first came in here and him and I were like super hopped up on coffee and Willie just came in one night and we're like, do you want coffee? Like, we're going we're gonna to be here all night. You want to hang out? <laughs> He's like, no, like, that's, I, I got to go home. I got to tell you, that's my only complaint. You guys have got to get a coffee solution. We've had so many, I promise you. So listeners, if 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 you have a coffee solution for these guys, send them a coffee machine, send them something. Yeah. If you feel compelled. What if Eric Valentine made a coffee machine? If Eric Valentine <laughs> made a coffee machine, it would I sound would buy so it. good. Yeah. <laughs> now, when it comes to uh getting paid, you ever have any trouble with the bands or is everybody pretty on the up and up and it's very rare. I mean, for the most part, you know, I so never, I never paid. have to ask. They just are like, here's your money, you know? Okay. And, but it is a thing of like, you know, we don't have, like, it's just me and Scott. We don't have like a manager or anything, you know, to follow up or, you know, collect or anything like that. So it, it, it also takes discipline to stay on top of that. I do think. you take a deposit? Yeah. Yeah. Half? A third. We do a hundred a day to hold a day on the calendar. Oh, okay. Yeah. And 
anybody ever bail on that? No. Yeah. Oh, oh wait. Sorry. Yeah, I've had you've people, had people. You've had, had people, people bail. bail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That was good at the yeah. same time. It's it's very rare though. I, I don't think I've ever ultimately been stiffed either. But it's been it's there's been times where it's like, hey, like, can you please pay me? Have you ever had any sessions where you've felt threatened by the people in the band? Like like physically Physi- threatened? Well, not not or but I mean just like intimidated. In any way. Ah. Like, ooh, this person is kind of unstable. Hmm. We haven't gotten too uh no, I don't think so. Eh, I don't not really threatened. I mean, you meet some characters. Yeah. You oh, meet yeah. some creative there's some there's some ego sometimes in the room, right? Yeah. But I've never felt felt unsafe or anything. I asked just because I've yeah. I've had a couple sessions yeah, over the, over the years that I, <laughs> it's <just> like <laughs> wow I can't wait for this session to end. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's interesting, like talking about it because I think the this whole year and maybe a little bit of the last year, almost everything we've done has been bands or peers that have hit us up for records that we've already done mm-hmm. and it's bands coming in to like do a serious release and like book time and like put as much effort into it as we're gonna put into it mm-hmm. so it isn't a lot of like hey I, I just need like three hours yeah we haven't done a lot of random we don't do like a lot you know, of like karaoke singing karaoke over YouTube songs any weird yeah it's not a lot of like walk in random it's, stuff yeah, it's, it's a lot of like focused records at this point yeah what about the future you guys could essentially keep this going for some time do you want to? Yeah, as long as uh, Chris and Willie will let yeah, us I mean, stay they, here, we'll stay. I heard there was a rent increase. Oh yeah, yeah. twenty bucks, dude. <laughs> yeah, we're in a, a, a unique, a rare situation right now where they're, you know, Chris and Willie are not trying to make money from us. They, I feel like, very supported by them. They're like, here are the keys, like make sick records. And so, yeah, we're gonna keep it going. What would you do if it ended t- tomorrow? Like, what would be your plan? If new ten- if, you know, if the building was condemned or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. say we had a monumental earthquake and they condemned the building and, and you were you were just I out of the place. I think we'd probably find another spot. You we'd know? probably just find another. We'd probably yeah. go back and record bands at my parents' yeah, house while we look for another dude. spot. Go back to Livermore. Go back to Livermore. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, we, we would just keep recording records and find another spot. That's exactly would what you, we would, would do. Would you, you'd build it out and do it? Maybe. I mean, I, I'm sure everything is uh, situational, but if we had to, yeah. I mean, we we build a lot of stuff in here, so we could probably figure it out. Yeah, put that money away for the contingency plan when, when there is a big-ass earthquake. Yeah. How often does the tape machine get used? Oh, Ben used it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, just the reality is, like, the bands we're recording aren't good enough. To, I mean, nobody's good enough to record to tape now that they're used to Pro Tools, right? And... You know, it took a it took a very specific project for me to like want to track to it, mm-hmm. um, but it would just it just was perfect for that. Um, you know, I was recording a great drummer, and it was a more stripped down, uh, you know, less aggressive project, and it just seems. So just, the, I just wanted to do it. So, do the I majority mean? of the bands that come in here expect Pro Tools? Do they expect a certain level of editing? And I think if they don't know, they expect it. They. They, they still expect it. <laughs> bands come in, see it, and go, oh, wow. I, I have a pretty good story. Sometimes, yeah. Usually it's not the bands. It's some uh, one of their friends that saw like, uh, like Sound, Sound City. Sound City yeah. And they go like, Dave Grohl records a tape. And you're like, oh, that's sick. He's hell good at music. Are all the bands not that good? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, when I say not good, I just mean, you know, even just punching in and comping with Pro Tools. Even if we're not even talking about editing, just... The amount of time we have to record a record and the the way drums are supposed to sound yeah. now, you know, in, in yeah. the year 2016, like sure. you can't really do that if you're recording to tape. You just can't. 
you know, we don't have an assistant. <laughs> like, we're not going to edit the tape. You know, it's, it's, it has to be Pro Tools. Yeah. Who, who inspires you from an engineering perspective, Ben? Uh, I mean, I have, you know, the Eric Valentine channels. I th- you pay attention to what Eric does? Sure, yeah. I respect what he's able to do to all different ty- types of, you know, music and yeah. the level of production he finds in, in those songs, yeah. What other engineers? Anybody in particular? Um, I think somebody that's gotten a both we're into and somebody we bonded over at Expression was Jason Livermore. Yeah. Uh, he's at the Blasting Room. Oh, in Colorado? In Colorado, yeah. right. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, the guy from the the guy from the Descendants owns it. Yeah, that's Bill Stevenson. Bill Stevenson owns it, yeah. But and, Jason Livermore is like the other engineer that works there. Oh. He's awesome. Yeah, should I talk to him? That would yeah, be, that'd awesome. be great. Yeah. I remember we were we his email was on the website at the time, maybe 7 years ago, and we emailed him and we were like the most generic question was how do you record bass and he wrote back like these kids like a six paragraph long email at the time we didn't even know what he was <laughs> yeah, talking I've, about I've emailed a couple times just like how did you do that his records are awesome yeah, yeah. who inspires you uh i mean generic answer but I, I i love the lord algae mixes i'm i'm always comparing my mixes to that eric valentine i think me and ben both have a really high admiration for that guy because it's just it's like peak recording like just like no, ex- like no expense, like spared. Like it's just like the best it could be, you know, which is awesome. Uh, I like John Feldman Productions. I think they're they're interesting and cool, and I like that sort of pop element. Um, so, kind of my vibe. Huh? The, yeah, the Lord Algae thing. I mean, that's definitely of a certain style of production. That definitely pretty, which I like too. Yeah. Um, what about, you know, you guys record a lot of punk rock records. So how does that, what's the juxtaposition there? I mean, how does that work? You Do know, you I, try to bring that kind of level of production to a punk rock project? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say maybe like as much gloss all the time. And it's definitely project dependent. But uh-huh. like, like when we would talk about punk rock records, we were talking about like Jason Livermore productions, which is like, they're, those records sound huge. They're, they're really big. It's not like as raw as like maybe some people perceive as like a, a punk rock record, you know? I think you can get really in-depth with it and make it sound crazy and make it sound, you know, sleek or as dirty as you want. We have like all the control, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so it can, go, it can go either way. But I definitely think me and Ben are striving for like we hold ourselves to that standard, you know? Uh, we want to make records that like compete or hold up against records like that, like made by those people. Do you guys use drum samples, triggering, any of that? Sometimes, Slate yeah. stuff? Yeah, if needed, definitely. I mean, How do the bands feel about that? It's, I don't getting... think most of them care. It, it's an odd taboo uh, because it's, I mean, what is recording? Like, what is compression? It's all an illusion, right? I think for the most part, I've, I've very rarely had anybody tell me, like, no samples. Yeah. Um, but having said that, like I hate when you can listen to a mix and the samples are distracting or it sounds fake. Like I want it to sound like drums in a room. You know what I mean? I want it to sound great. I want it to sound hyped, but I don't want it to sound artificial. So mm-hmm. try not to rely on them, but I, I won't hesitate to use them if I need them. You're dealing with a large amount of bands coming in. So how do you deal in uh, file management? And you know, you said uh, you, you when I walked in, you said you had a hard drive fail the other day. Do you consider it your responsibility to take care of the files? Do you save the files for the bands? Do they walk away with it on a hard drive? What's what's the protocol there? We're each backing up our own sessions, and we have multiple backups on different hard drives. You know, I've listened to the podcasts, and like anytime somebody goes like, "Oh, like a drive failed," I run over to my computer and back up like my hard drive immediately. 
<laughs> just like while I'm casually at my house listening and I'm like, yep, I'm going to go. I, I have everything in like three places at once. I just started backing up sessions after the, you know, session backup uh, on Dropbox too. Mm-hmm. So if the bands want to, you know, get the multi-tracks, they can have them. Yeah, I've, I mean, I would certainly make it available to bands. I don't think I've ever had anybody ask for a multi-track. Yeah. Which is kind of odd now that I think about it. I haven't really thought about that before. But yeah, I mean, I'll hold on to them. I have everything backed up and, and we'll hold on to them. I, we talked about our drive failing, but we didn't have anything lost. You know, we didn't have anything that wasn't, uh, that was gone forever. Yeah. You know, so. Which is good. Yeah. But I, yeah, it's, I would say it's our own personal responsibility between Scott and I, which have, if you look back there, you'll see a zillion drives. Yeah. What about uh, insurance? Do you guys use insurance or you, or you throw caution in the wind and not? For the gear, we don't. We've been talking about it. Um, what percentage of the gear is owned by Willie and Chris and percentage owned by you? It might be like 25 each, maybe. Well, between the four of us? Yeah. yeah, maybe. It's. I mean, at this point, Scott and I have have added a lot. I mean, most of this, if you look at this rack, the distressors, I guess, are Willie's and the Amec. Uh, yeah, and the rest, the rest is ours. I don't, I, I don't really know a percentage. Yeah, maybe 50-50. The board was here. Like the, the, board, the console is, the is board was here. OG and Newtone for sure. Yeah. Still functional? Depends on your definition on. of functional. <laughs> <laughs> it turns on, yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me over. and Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. There's going to be a coffee machine in your future. Yeah. Okay. Whether I have a hand in it. Not going to fight you Or on the that. audience has a hand in it. it. It's just, you've got a lot of great gear here, but that's a, that's a key component. How do, how do you keep bands caffeinated? Send them to Starbucks. Send them to Starbucks <laughs> so they go away. <laughs> Well, very cool. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah awesome. Thank you. Good chatting. Well, there you have it. Ben Hirschfield and Scott Goodrich of Newtone Studios here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Good to follow that story. Good to uh, follow where it leads from Willie Samuels and Chris Dugan. And uh, great to see that they're doing so well with the studio. So that's it. We're out of time. We got to thank everybody. We got to thank Cliff Truesdale, Chuck Smith, and Cole Williams. We have to thank our sponsors, of course. We want to thank Gearslets.com, Focal Monitors, Universal Audio, and Audio Technica. And as usual, you know, I got to thank you all. Appreciate you listening and uh, keep doing so. I appreciate it. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.